0: Welcome to Daily Coast's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Malitzas, the founder of Daily Coast and your co host, along with senior political writer Carrie Elleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1 Pacific, 4 30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast's The Brief. I'm Marcos Molitzis. I'm here with Kerry Eleveld. And Carrie, today we're going to be talking about the 2022 Senate uh, picture. And last week, just I the, encouraged...
1: Just the Senate? No House?
0: Well, we'll, we'll <laughs> the Senate. <laughs> we'll be talking about the Senate. There's a reason we can't just yet talk about the House, and we'll, we'll get into that. But we're going to talk about the Senate. If you didn't catch last week's episode, I really, really sort of I encourage you to go check it out because Kerry and I discussed just how amazing the sort of the kickoff of the Biden administration has been despite a 50-50 Senate. And uh, we, as we talked about it, we are on the verge of a transformational presidency, an FDR style presidency. And the only limitation is how much he can get through the Senate. And right. so... You know, as as most of you probably know, the Senate right now is tied 50-50. And it is a Democratic Senate because Vice President Kamala Harris is the tie-breaking vote. And I think she's cast a bunch of those already. Mm -hmm. The reason we have a 50-50 Senate, there's several, like winning the special or the runoff elections in Georgia uh, was a big one. But another reason is that we have a Senate seat In West Virginia, that is Joe Manchin, Democrat, West Virginia, in a state that Donald Trump won by like a million points. It is literally one of the most Republican states in the country. There is no business having a Democratic senator from there. And yet we do. And so what Biden has been able to accomplish so far has been because of Joe Manchin. So he is a blessing for the caucus. But Kerry... He's also a curse, isn't he?
1: <laughs> it all depends on which way you see. I mean, look, everybody's kind of sick already of the Joe Manchin show, right? Except for Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin's not right. sick of the Joe Manchin show, but like <laughs> everybody else is. It's like, well, we could do this, but Joe Manchin and maybe Kirsten <laughs> Cinema of Arizona. But we could we could do this. D.C. statehood, but Joe Manchin, you know, we could we could how many things could we possibly do? I'm sure like, you know, most progressives could just off the top of their head list, like five things that they'd love to do, like the For the People Act, like D.C. statehood, you know, and then and, uh... and, what, sorry, what?
0: The Equality Act,
1: the Equality Act, the the George Floyd Justice and oh my god, and, you, you know, can you know, go down the Floyd list. Justice Act, you know, you, you you go down the list, and it all comes down to, but Joe Manchin, and I I I totally understand that sentiment, and you know, and wholeheartedly agree with it, and at the same time, there's still a chance to be for Joe Biden to be transformational. And in my, you know, best case scenario, which I think is possible, which is not impossible, is for Democrats to manage to get more of you know Biden's agenda done through reconciliation on the jobs plan and the families plan that would be that would really level the playing field in a lot of ways economically by, you know raising taxes on people who can damn well afford it, particularly corporations and multinational corporations in order to pay for things that are wildly popular, like universal pre-K, right. For all three and four year olds in the United States, that polls at 60% and above in every poll I've seen so far, there's another poll coming out tomorrow that will have those numbers as well. And, and, you know, I think, It's still possible for Democrats to get this. I think they're going to decide that it's much better to go into 2022 on a platform of Democrats. We get we get shit done. Sorry for those family friendly. Uh,
0: (laughs) No, no, no apologies. Anyway, but
1: Democrats, we get shit done is a much better platform than Democrats. We made sure that we didn't raise taxes on any, you know, millionaires, billionaires and multinational corporations. I mean, that is just not like a winning platform for the Democrats. Whereas whereas all the other things that they've gotten done so far and that they could continue to do really is. And then you set up the possibility for keeping the chambers, potentially expanding by one or two seats, your Senate majority and going, you know, getting another bite at the apple at things like the For the People Act, the DC statehood. I mean, I'm not saying those things couldn't get done before then. I just feel like the path to getting these other, these other priorities done through reconciliation is a much clearer path to me at this point.
0: Yeah. And you said that magic word that we've discussed. We even had a whole show on it, which is the filibuster, which is, you know, this rule that says you need 60 votes for except for (laughs) increasingly contrived situations where you can use a reconciliation system, which isn't even worth getting into the the details because it's just so ridiculous, ridiculously stupid that it just it beggars the mind that this is a thing that actually exists. And Joe Manchin is one of the reasons we still have a filibuster he has he has come out firmly opposed to it there's a couple other democrats that are squishy on it but one really there's a feeling really that if joe manchin said okay i'm voting to get rid of it that everybody else would go along
1: he's firmly yeah. opposed to to getting rid of it i mean that's i think that's what you meant you said yeah. firmly opposed to it i was like oh that would be great no, oh he's right, firmly, right, right. yeah wish. he's firmly yeah. opposed to getting rid of it yeah i just wanted to clarify that's all
0: And so, and there's an irony there with Joe Manchin because he's so concerned about voting with Democrats because of his very Trumpy state. Yet, if there was no filibuster, he could vote against, you know, a lot of this stuff to his heart's content, assuming that the Democrats didn't have a (laughs) 50-50. We still need a little bit more of a cushion, right? So the filibuster by itself doesn't really solve the Joe uh, Manchin problem. What we need is more people so carrie i'm gonna bring our guest on but before i bring him on i just want to set a little foundation because um we have we're a daily coast show obviously right we're both you know part of daily coast we we've had a lot of daily coast uh, staff members because we have a lot of great experts on a lot of the issues that we're talking about but we've also we brought in people from all over the progressive movement right because this is about building progressive power And i'm saying this to say that i'm not this is not a 100% daily coast show and i don't i don't engage in hyperbole when i say that the daily coast election team is the best elections coverage in the entire country of any kind these guys and women know more about elections than anybody else and so when we were going to talk about the senate 22 picture it made sense to bring in the Daily Kos elections team. And it made extra sense to bring in our elections editor, Jeff Singer, who is a election savant. So, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. I have a lot of love for you, for the work you do. And I know you're a staff favorite, so it's a real thrill to have you on.
2: Oh, thank you for having
0: me. It's great What's to be up? here. <laughs> so one question, that actually, Carrie brought this up, and so I want to get this out of the way really, really quickly. Why are we not talking about the House yet so it's not
2: that we're not talking about the house there is a lot of worry about keeping the house because we have such a small majority but the reason we're not really getting into individual house races is the house seats don't exist yet for 2022 we're going into a redistricting cycle so all the districts we've grown to know and love and mostly hate over the last 10 years they're going to be redrawn and some of them not very much some of them will just be completely unrecognizable so nobody really knows what anything is going to look like no one knows what districts they're going to run in including the candidates including the incumbents what we do know is the republicans once again like they did after 2010 will have be able to draw many more seats than us but we don't know how bad it'll be and we we're also going to have more independent redistricting than we did before where neither party has control we don't know what those seats are going to look like. So there's just for the Senate, we have a general idea of what's going to be competitive, what in, how many seats will be in play for the House. It's really anyone's guess. So
0: there's just, what's what's a timeline for knowing what those districts is going to look like.
2: So nor, it's going to be a lot later than ever before because the pandemic and Trump's interference just made the census so much tougher and take so much longer. They're not even supposed to have the data that they need to redraw the maps until I think late August. And it's gonna take a lot longer than that. Ooh. And every state works on it, has different timelines because primaries take different place take place at different times. There's different state laws governing it. So we can't the, the process can't even really start in earnest until August. And some of these seats, just like they were in 2012, we're not gonna see until like mid year next in 2022.
1: Is it fair at this point to even ask a really, really broad question like, are we more worried about the House or the Senate?
2: I think that's fair, but my answer would be we're worried about both of them. We just (laughs) in the in the Senate, I mean, we literally have no room for error whatsoever. And in the House, the Republicans take five seats. They're back in control and they might be able to take five seats through redistricting alone. So. It yeah, can...
0: <laughs> there's there's a lot of known unknowns to uh, <laughs> quote. Was <is> it Rumsfeld? <laughs> it's probably the last time I've ever going to quote
1: Rumsfeld. So, uh, I, I'm, so <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what, what even say? Rumsfeld is such a fan favorite here on Daily Post. We just had to work in, you know, it's almost like product placement. So anyway, yeah.
0: <laughs> so one more sort of really broad sort of you know um, big picture setting. Um, There is a historical pattern for the first midterm election of a new president of a brand new president. Right. So Joe Biden was just elected uh, last year. We have his first midterms next year. What does history tell us about the prospects of an incumbent party?
2: History tells us they're usually pretty bad. So midterms almost always with a few exceptions, the party that controls the White House loses seats in at least the House, usually the Senate. So that was true for most of the 19th century and into the 20th. In 1934, in the midst of the Great Depression, under FDR, Democrats gained seats, and then the party in power loses consistently until 1998, which when Bill Clinton was about to be impeached and there was a backlash, but Republicans still kept the House and the Senate. Then 2002, right after 9-11, when the uh, upcoming Iraq war was unfortunately pretty popular Republicans gain seats. And then it's back to normal for the next three midterms or four midterms. Sorry. Parting power loses a lot of seats. So history is not great on that, but there is always exceptions and there are midterm losses and then there are midterm losses. So I know this is a cycle where, where we don't have much room for error, but even so there are, all, there are the exceptions I laid out. And also, the Senate doesn't always work the same way. Um, just in 2018, Democrats took 40 House seats, but Republicans netted two Senate seats. So there's always a chance for differences. Um, would you like me to get to
0: into- yeah. And the Senate map is different. Every, you know, it looks different, right? So the house is, every seat is up. So you can actually have an apples to apples comparison. That Senate map you were talking about, it was, it was a brutal map for Democrats, right? It was a bunch of red states were up and a lot of red state Democrats, right? That was a Heidi High Camp in North Dakota year, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. yeah was really in Missouri.
0: Mm-hmm. in Missouri. So that was rough under any conditions. That was going to be a tough one for sure.
2: Yeah. And About midterms, I mean the usual dynamic is it hurts the party in power, and I think there's there's a I think the big reason for that is the presidential elections. Love them, hate them, they they pretty much take up all the oxygen and what's going on in the media. Like they're big cultural events. Midterms, not really so much. And I think the the people who show up disproportionately are the people who are angry. I mean, it's like that for a lot of things. It's like if you ever who is more likely to leave a restaurant review on anything people who hate <laughs> the food not people who are like this was this was good four stars so yeah. if you're angry that's pretty good reason to show up then if your party controls the white house you're a lot less likely to be angry at the other party than if you're the one in the minority
1: i feel uh, like i sometimes experience that personally in the daily coast comments on uh, my pieces
2: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> Exactly.
1: People Carrie, have a bone to pick, they're, they're oh, in there. Oh, yeah, of
0: course. It, it's a truism, right? Somebody's angry in the Internet. Carrie's actually written a lot about this, how there was a immediate protest movement after Obama was elected, right? The Tea Party um, movement. There was one definitely after Donald Trump was elected, starting with the Women's March and then he's escalating to the broader resistance. We're not seeing a lot of angry people right now at joe biden and there's certainly nothing even remotely approaching any kind of organized movement i know this is a little bit out of your your bailiwick uh jeff but um as you as you like dig into these races uh, do you see that dynamic sort of starting to express itself like is there an actual movement for change in i know you're seeing polling you're seeing early tv ads and messaging do you sense any of that at all
2: it's it definitely feels different than, than it did under obama and trump and Part of that is why this midterm, everyone who has always says this midterm may be different and well, no, no two midterms are alike, but one re- thing is the la- the person who isn't in the white house, Trump, he's still very much front and center. I mean, you think about Bush in 2010, you know, still not liked, but he wasn't really there. He wasn't really a good target for Democrats. He, Republicans certainly weren't rallying around him very different now. So plenty of Republicans still think Trump is the president or should be, but to some degree politically, he sort of is sort of the de facto, the opposition leader in a way that doesn't, didn't really happen before. So what a lot of Democrats I think are hoping is he'll be someone they can run against the way we couldn't run against Bush or Democrat or Republicans really couldn't run against Obama in 2018. And, I think that might be part of it, why there really isn't a movement like the movement in the Republican Party is Trump. So they're they don't think of themselves really as the opposition. They think of themselves as the party in power.
1: So- I, I uh, I'll just weigh in real quick because it's something I've thought about a lot. And it seems to me that, you know, normally a, a, a midterm election is a referendum on the president, the person in the White House. Right. It seems to me what the what Republicans really want, to, because so far, Joe Biden is pretty. You know, effing popular, and so are his policies, and so are so is the agenda he's still trying to push through. Very popular, um, extraordinarily by most measures. I really think what the Republicans want and are hoping is not that it's a, a, a referendum on Joe Biden, but that it's a refer that they can make it a referendum on how ticked off people are about the outcome of the 2020 election, okay, and that they that, you know, that they get to feed the big lie. I mean, they're purging, you know, Representative Congresswoman Liz Cheney from their ranks right now so that they can spend time focused on continuing to propagate the big lie that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. And I think that's what they are. They really hope to run on is is the the idea of like firing up all of all those, you know, really, Trump dead enders who are who are ticked off about 2020 and think and still think the election was stolen somehow or fraudulent. Um, it seems to me that they're that, that based on what they're doing and going all in on the big lie, purging their leadership ranks, that that is what they want to be the 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 referendum on is 2020 and not necessarily uh, Joe Biden himself.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that is a big part of it. And also, they they really want this to be about culture. Like, like anytime <laughs> anything whatsoever happens, you just suddenly hear all this cancel culture and you know, we mock it because some of it's truly just I mean it's when so
0: stupid.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's but but to some degree they it could work. I mean, there there's a lot of straw manness in this, like Democrats want to kill Dr. Seuss or whatever, but there's It's something they really think can help. And this is nothing new. In 2018, we saw the Republicans try to bring in kneeling at football games into a thing, into elections. And in 2010, we had the whole ground zero mosque that that Islamophobic campaign like this is and this is nothing new for midterms. This is nothing new for elections. And, you know, it works except when it doesn't. (laughs)
0: Yeah, the, the difference is that at least those tapped into their latent racism, not even latent anymore, their overt <laughs> exposed racism, right? Uh, Kaepernick, you know, he, you know, black people don't respect America and obviously Ground Zero Mosque and, you know, the uh, MS-13 scary gang members and immigration and the caravan and transgender bathrooms. I mean, like the li- these all really tie in. Dr. Seuss cancel culture. I'm not sure what that ties into, especially now that they're in the process of literally canceling uh, Lynn Cheney. So this is not a group of people that are particularly coherently uh, working on, on, uh, on uh, a playbook. That seems to be making sense. Let me ask you this, Jeff. So speaking of Lynn Cheney getting canceled, are there
1: in- Liz. Liz, Lynn's the mom?
0: Sorry, 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 Liz yep. Cheney. No, in I mean chance. you know, Thank hey, you. it's all no, it's no, all no. of the
1: Cheney brood. So, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh yeah.
0: Are there any incumbent Republican senators that are in danger of a primary challenge on similar grounds for the Senate, that, are, that are up for election in twenty twenty two?
2: For the Senate, not with one possible exception, no, because. Everyone who voted to impeach Trump, they were either leaving or they weren't up in 2022. Um, the one possible exception is Lisa Murkowski in Alaska. But Alaska changed how it does elections. It's not a primary. They've, they're doing something that no other state has ever done before. And it'll be interesting to see how it goes. So in party primaries starting 2022 don't have them. What they're going to do is everyone, regardless of party, you run on one ballot for the primary. Can't um, Voters can pick the top four ones they like. So you will then have a general election for people who got the most votes in the primary. They'll face off. So you could have two Democrats, two Republicans, three Republicans, one Democrat, three independent. You name it, any permutation. Then the Then in the general election, November, rank choice. You rank your choices. Instant runoff. So nothing like this is... We we have ranked choice in Maine. California has something like the top... Has a top two primary, where it could be two Democrats, two Republicans. But top four, never been tried in the U.S. before. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. It'll probably help Murkowski, because she doesn't have to worry about just the primary electorate. She keeps enough Democrats and independents happy. They could vote for her. But... Completely new system. And Murkowski herself hasn't hasn't announced if she's running again. So it's possible she'll just retire and we'll see something very, very new.
0: It almost seems like that system was designed to protect Murkowski because she lost her primary Republican primary uh, five years ago and actually uh, ran as an independent. in, yeah, one, in 2010. write it, write it. Even worse with the name Murkowski. <laughs> yeah, in 2010.
2: Yeah, um, she's one of two people to ever win a a write-in campaign for the Senate. The other's Strom Thurmond, so (laughs) not not the best company to be in, but
0: (laughs) a small club. (laughs) For sure. So what do you think? What what would be the top-tier Senate battlegrounds in 2022?
2: So this year, in some years, we've had one party almost completely on the defensive. This year, it's a bit more mixed. So for, for Democrats, seats Democrats are hoping to pick up. Pennsylvania, that's an open seat. Um Pat Toomey, the Republican incumbent, who did vote to impeach Trump, he's retiring. He'd already announced that beforehand. Um Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, who is he's a piece of work. He's he hasn't said <laughs> if he's running again or not.
0: Um Putin Putin wants him to run again. He'll probably have to go to <laughs> Moscow on the fourth of July to get his marching orders from Putin. Yeah. So he actually literally did.
1: Yeah.
2: And probably won't be vaccinated for that trip. Um, <laughs> so um, those are the two big ones for Democrats. They're not the only ones. So those are the, those are the big two. By, those went for from Trump to Biden.
0: These are battlegrounds in the strongest oh, yeah. sense of the word.
2: Yep. Um, you also have North Carolina, which Trump narrowly won, but narrowly. Um, Richard Burr, the Republican incumbent, is retiring and that one's another one to look at. Then you have, you have Florida. If you ever want to start a fight with Democrats, just mention Florida and mention whether it's competitive or not. That <laughs> will get people, that will get people yelling at each other. Um, oh, but Mark, Florida. Marco Rubio is up there. So, you know, um, we'll see how competitive that one turns out. Um, those are the top Democratic targets for
0: Republicans. Wait, so, wait, wait. Yeah. Every single one of those was a presidential battleground. Yep. I mean, it, it's almost to the point now, every battleground just, it's like, it's like vertically integrated between <laughs> yeah. the Senate and the president, right? They're, 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 yeah. yeah um, they're,
1: Florida, yeah. Well, I'm just, what was the spread on, on Florida? How many, I feel like that was the least competitive of the four. Um, I mean, Wisconsin was obviously super tight. So was Pennsylvania, but not by quite as much both went for Democrats. And then North Carolina, of course, I think a point and a half or something yeah. like that went for, for Republicans. And what was Florida?
2: About three points for Trump. Yeah.
0: No, it's so close. I mean, it's Florida close, right? It's like break our hearts close. That's yeah. I mean,
2: I mean, Florida, the thing is people say it's trending, right? The thing Florida's Florida is, there's just so many demographic groups, so many geographic groups and they don't, they often trend in different directions. It's just like in, like as bad as Florida was in 2020, there were some good signs. There was Jacksonville; it voted for a Democrat presidential candidate for the first time since Jimmy Carter in 1976. Very big place, you know. If in a world where Biden won, it people would be talking all about that, but he didn't because South Florida we got really wrecked. And you know, those were two very those are two groups that it's not that Jacksonville moved because they saw what was going on in South Florida and were like, oh, well, we want some of that, but. Um, you just have a lot of demographic groups that just move in different directions, and so the trick is
0: to get is to right. corral them all. But the cats, it's
1: like a herding yeah. cats. Jeff, Jeff, are you so as you because you know people are political writers are starting to write stories now about whether or not these are going to be messy primaries for the Democrats. I mean, they could be like Pennsylvania could be incredibly messy for the Republicans. So could, you know, so could North Carolina, frankly. So could Wisconsin, uh, depending on what (laughs) anti-vaxxer and conspiracy theorist uh, Ron Johnson decides to do. but anyway, um so, but I just wonder, what do you what do you do you have a read so far on whether or not these are you worried about how these demo, how these uh, primaries are going to go for Democrats?
2: I mean, there's always there's always a chance a candidate who is not capable of winning a general election or will be disfavored gets nominated. But in terms of will there be a really ugly primary that will do us harm in a general? I tend to be I tend to be a skeptic on that. I tend to be more pro primary because I do think it's a good way to test who can run a good campaign. And, you know, sometimes the best thing to do is to if somebody is to see who can take a punch, who has some something in their past. It's sometimes sometimes it's just a lot better to get it aired out in May than to get it aired out in October. So it can be old news in the general election.
1: So less less influence and tinkering from the from the um, from above the Senate Democrats above is what you're sort of proposing.
2: um, I think there is something to that, but um, I don't think there has been too much heavy handedness. And in general, I just I just think sometimes the best thing to do is just to rather than just try to clear the field, is to see what happens to see. Competition can be really good, and if the, pri- especially if the primary takes place months before the general election, wounds have time to heal. Money gets can be re can be raised again. I there's all, you can there's always horror stories about there was some horrible primary and the wrong candidate got nominated or the right candidate quote unquote got nominated but they were just so beat up they couldn't win the general election. That's always a danger, but you can just you can point to plenty of examples where if someone had no real opposition. And then we found out too late. Oops. That, they, were, they were pretty bad. So I tend, I tend to think if there's going to be a primary, let it happen. Let's, let's see who can take a punch who can't. Let's see who has something in their past that we should find out about now rather than when it's too late.
0: Yeah. I also, I also love the, I also love the idea of sort of a dry run for the get out the vote operation. It's like, start really working and how totally. are you are going to communicate your people? How are you going to motivate them to vote? How are you going to motivate them to talk to the networks to get people to vote? And it's not going to be the intensity and energy of a general election, of course, but I mean, if you can't motivate your own parties, partisans, you know, you're already at a disadvantage in the general election. So I'm a big fan of, of primaries myself. So Jeff, we talked about Democratic pickup opportunities. Now let's talk about Republican pickup opportunities in the Senate.
2: So the big ones, the big two are Georgia and Arizona. And we just had those elections where Democrats won, but they were special elections for just two-year terms. This is or the remainder of a term. This is for full six-year term. So two states that went Democratic for the first time in decades, Democrat and they also have governors' races that are held by the Republicans, so that'll be an extra dynamic there. In Arizona, you have Mark Kelly; he beat Martha, their appointed Republican incumbent Martha McSally by about two points, ran a little bit ahead of Biden. Georgia, you have Raphael Warnock; he won by he also beat an appointed Republican incumbent by about a point and point and a half, I believe. Um, those those are the two those are the two big ones, but they're not the only ones to look at. We also have New Hampshire. It's when that's sort of the classic swing state. It's full of, it's one. It's one of the few states that still seems to have a lot of voters who do swing from party to party each year, just a ton of them. Um, Maggie Hassan, the Democratic incumbent, is up, and Republicans are really, really hoping to get Chris Sununu, the governor, to run. He hasn't said yes or no yet, but if he passes, she's still going to be a big target, but. I think she'd very much like Sununu not to run because
0: he won. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. yeah. oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I guess you were yeah. about to say.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He won pretty decisively in 2020. So, yeah. as you
0: know, Joe God. Biden was winning the state, right? Yeah. I think it's very clear. People were happy to vote for Joe Biden and for uh, Sununu governor, Republican governor at the same time. So that shows that he has a uh, significant crossover appeal.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There is that. And, well, that. And New Hampshire, it's just, it's a very volatile state. So I expect it to be competitive no matter what, but yeah, Sununu, he'll, he's, he's their top prospect. And then you have Nevada where um, Catherine Cortez Masto, she's, she's up and Nevada Biden won it, but it was close. And the Republicans they're hoping the candidate they're looking at is Adam Laxalt. He's a very, very Trumpy former attorney general. He ran for governor in 2018 lost, but Not by a lot. He's their top prospect. Um, But this is another one where even if he says no, they're going to find somebody to run. Um, So those are the big four Democratic defensive seats.
0: And once maybe maybe New Hampshire wasn't much of a presidential battleground, but all the other states you mentioned, once again, we're, we're just really looking at that 2020 presidential map all over again. It's like we decided to replay it and i got to say um that scares me given the history of that that first term first midterm curse given the uh the challenges of getting our vote out in a non-presidential year and all these states were were razor thin states so it shows that there's a possibility of of you know gaining three four seats and the possibility of losing you know three four seats and and so there is so much at stake uh, heading in. Is there a second tier pickup opportunities for Democrats? Or are we really looking at the, how many states did you said Wisconsin, Four. Pennsylvania, North Carolina, North and North Florida. Florida. Yeah. Is there, is there another tier that might, might present opportunities? <laughs> or I'm, I'm just like, give me more options. We need more.
2: There are, um, but these are all, there's a big leap from the first tier to the second tier, unless you count Florida as like sort of the mid-step. Um, the big one that people are going to be looking at is Ohio. It's an open seat. Rob Portman, the Republican incumbent, decided to retire. Ohio is a state is a state that has not been really kind to Democrats in the last few years. It went for Trump by bounty points. Um, Republicans kept the governorship in 2018. Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown, he did win in 2018 also, so hasn't completely gone off the bridge yet, but... It's a tough one.
0: It, it feels like it's going there, doesn't it?
2: It does. This is. Yeah,
0: it feels like a Missouri. Yeah, yeah. It's. It's it's, it's not I... highly educated. It's predominantly white. Like a lot of the sort of trend, it's very rural, I guess. It's a lot of the trends. There's not a lot of creative class people moving in the places. Although I, although there is some activity around Columbus, right? It's starting to become a little more history.
2: Yeah, yeah, some, um,
0: hope?
2: <laughs> some hope. Yeah, Columbus no. and Cincinnati—they've definitely gotten a lot more blue. Like Cincinnati used like Hamilton counties for Cincinnati. It used to be really Republican. It's a lot bluer, but the it gets count. All that has been more than canceled out by the more rural areas, like eastern Ohio. That blood has become. It was pretty red in 2012. Very very blood red now, and. This will be an inter- This will be a chance to see whether when Trump's not on the ballot, if it's like if it's like that, if there's some bit of reversion back. Mm-hmm. In 2018, there was somewhat of a trend back the other way wasn't enough to keep the government to get the governorship back. But,
1: you know, that raises a really good question, which is which one of these I just want to say from the outside, if I look at the their top tier and our top tier for pickoffs. I'm much happier about our top tier. I think our top tier Democrats that they're going to be trying to pick off, as in Mark Kelly in Arizona and Raphael Warnock in Georgia, those are two pretty damn strong candidates. You know, I I can't think of candidates that I'd rather be running than them, number one. But I, I do wonder, you know, as you're talking about places where the Trump effect will make a big difference. You know, does it, d- does, do his people turn out? Which States do you think th- that will be most important in whether or not his people turn out?
2: I mean, to some degree, well, I mean, that's the billion dollar question for sure. every for everything, but I mean, Ohio, yeah. Ohio I think is state number one with that because in 2018 it was still more red than democrats needed it to be but or wanted it to be but not as bad so that that's sort of going to be the test case of whether with Trump not there it's more like it used to be or whether Trump was a long-term change
0: hmm.
2: yeah for the senate i think for republican hold for republican holds that's big one pennsylvania i mean you saw a lot of the same mm-hmm. trends going on there yeah and a lot of rural areas that were more friendly to the democrats under obama boom so that that's can be a big one also but unlike unlike ohio you also had a lot more suburban areas that went the opposite direction towards democrats so another test will be whether with trump not in everyone's faces all the time if some of these voters who were pretty heavily republican beforehand are sticking with the democrats now or if it's like well the orange man's gone we can we want our taxes low again or lower. We just want to focus on lower taxes, that kind of thing.
1: I sure hope people are paying attention because he's so not gone and the Republican party has so become him. It's just frightening.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, and then that's like, what we were talking about a little bit earlier, like Trump is still in everyone's faces, not as much before. partially because he's not in the white house, partially because his Twitter account's gone, but he's very much not left the spotlight. So, you know, you'd have to, You'd have to ask people in, say, Bucks County, what they're think, Pennsylvania, what they're thinking. But yeah, if you're somebody who what who voted for Romney happily in 2012, but really doesn't like Trump, what do you feel like now that he's not president, but he's still there? That's. That, I it's mean, those be. those are the two questions for going for going forward. What what do those voters do, and what do voters who turn towards Trump do now that he's not in office? Like, do we see something more like 2012, or? Is that is that reality gone or is there a mix?
0: Yeah, Trump is really refusing to leave the stage. And it's interesting because Republicans could ignore him and he literally would go away. His his website uh, is not getting a lot of traction. Uh, it's kind of a joke. And um, he only he has his question. He power. thinks Twitter
1: did him a big favor. He says Twitter <laughs> and Facebook did him a huge favor. And now he's got this fantastic it's platform beautiful. that I haven't seen anywhere. Nothing. I've seen <laughs> nothing about it, basically. Anyway, so. sorry. Go ahead.
0: He only has as much power as Republicans want to give him and they want to give him all the power, which is one of the sort of the the real big mysteries of 2021 is why do they insist on this and how uh, presumably these primaries in these in these um, not just the open seats, but who knows, maybe some of these incumbents may get primaried anyway, even if they voted against impeachment just because how much can Trump potentially hurt them? So, I mean, one of the stories has been Trump trying to recruit Herschel Walker to run against Raphael Warnock in Georgia. I don't know if that's still happening, you can tell us, but it's clear, Herschel Walker lives in Texas, right? And so the, the, the Trump brain thinks, oh, we need a black person to run against Warnock in Georgia. This black person over in some other completely different state said some nice things about me on TV. Let's him run. And suddenly the entire Georgia Republican establishment's paralyzed, waiting for Herschel Walker to make a decision. <laughs>
1: it's and so for those of, for those of you who aren't football fans, Herschel Walker was a Heisman Trophy winner who played for Georgia back in the day. What eighties, I think, something like that. So, you know, that that's the that's the connection to Georgia that he holds, even though he lives in Texas now. Um, but anyway, just I just wanted to make that clear for people who, did, who didn't know. That's that was
0: very helpful. Um, so, Jeff, is that a, still a thing? And are there other states where Trump's meddling may end up hurting their chances to pick up the Senate?
2: Yeah. Um, so for Herschel Walker, yes, that that's very much a thing. Um Whether, whether he'll well come home, color come back to Georgia and run is a big thing. Um, whether whether he'll
1: I mean, he's, people have already dropped out because of him. Like Doug Doug Collins, right? Who's a who's a congressman yeah, who was a big Trump, yeah, big Trumper, right? He's already dropped out, right? Yeah, and said he um, wouldn't he wouldn't run.
2: Yeah, um, how much of that has to do with Walker, and how much of that just has to do with he didn't feel like it this time? That's debatable. But Walker is sort of he's sort of one of those examples of people I say when I say primaries aren't really bad because. He's an interesting... If he runs, he's an interesting guy because he he doesn't have a vote. He doesn't have a record. So when people always say, I don't want a politician, well, he's, there's that. But he's also never run for office. So whether whether someone like that could be a good candidate or not, that's something that primary is good to, to find out about. There, It's better to find that out then than to find out in October, oh, this person shouldn't be our nominee. So... Walker, yeah, I don't I don't know whether he'll be a good candidate. No one seems to know except maybe Trump, who thinks he knows. But in terms of whether Trump meddling could hurt in Republicans and other races, yeah, I I think so. I think for one thing he just cannot keep quiet. Like in Virginia, a state Trump just lost by ten points, largest blowout for Republicans since Lyndon Johnson in nineteen sixty-four. It's he just in, he just loudly endorsed the new Republican nominee, Glenn um, Yokin. am He, so, you know, who knows what Trump will actually do? Who knows if we'll campaign there in person for him or not, but this is a state where you think Republicans would just want to talk about anything but Trump, but no, Trump just cannot. <laughs> Trump does not want to be quiet about that. So we'll, we'll see about that. And He's already made some primary endorsements. None, I think, in places where he where Dem, where it was just a, really a competitive place. But we'll see. I mean, he's, Good. I mean, he's someone who does not particularly care about what happens to the party overall. I mean, one story from twenty eighteen that I just. I, It would be unbelievable for anyone else. Um, There was this Republican congressman, was, I'm saying, so you know how the story ends. Um, Eric Paulson in Minnesota, in a suburban twin city seat that had gone, that was really competitive until Trump. Paulson had won while Trump was in 2016 when people who voted for him and Hillary thought Trump couldn't win in 2018. Very different place. Paulson doesn't want to have anything to do with Trump. Trump endorsed him on Twitter. And Trump knew full well This was gonna hurt him, but he did it just because he was mad at Paulson. He was mad that he existenced himself. This was just giving him the finger. And well, Paulson goes down in flames after winning easily two years before. So yeah, that's that's the kind of person Trump is. So
1: I could absolutely
2: do, right. Do right. The other
1: overarching theme, and I totally I have 100 percent agree with you that he that Trump's so much more invested in in getting retribution and settling scores than he is in the party. Um, but the other thing he he can't let go is he's he's never going to admit that he lost the election. So he's going to he's going to continue to spend the next two years as our Republicans telling their constituents that the that this election was stolen from them. That did not play well for them in Georgia, you know, between the November election and the runoffs, we saw a drop off in his people, partly because he wasn't on the ticket, but partly because he spent the intervening several months saying the election was stolen from me. So why why would you show up to vote for people that you don't particularly care about? I mean, if you if you care about Trump, it's one thing. But if you're a Trumper who doesn't particularly care about the Republican Party, why are you going to show up to vote? When they when the la- for the last two years, both the Republican Party and Trump have spent telling you that you that the election was rigged and that it was taken away from you. Now, you know, maybe in some of these red states, they're going to be able to argue, well, they changed the rules. And so now it's going to be better. Right. Maybe they're going to be. able, to, But in states where there's where there's Democratic governors, you know, they might not be able to argue that in states where Democrats are in control. They might not be able to argue that.
2: I mean, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I mean, Democrats would certainly like it if that completely backfired, especially after all that we've gone through as a country, but I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, you know, Georgia, yeah, you're right. There was a bigger drop off. There was there was a drop off for both for both Democrats and Republicans from November to January when the specials, ha- when the runoffs happened, but it was bigger among Republicans and that made the difference. But Georgia was also close, really really close. So, you know, that message did Probably keep Republicans from, did possibly keep Republicans from winning, but they still got really close. So it may, it's probably not going to be the be all end
0: all. As you look at the early messaging, and I know we don't have a lot of real candidates yet. Um, I know the fields are starting to sh- you know, just starting to shake out. We don't even know if some centers like Grassley and Iowa are even running for re election or not. So there's still a lot of, it's still early and, you know, I'll concede that. But as people start, laying the groundwork these republicans like what's the message are you seeing is there like a cohesive message that they're all adapting or adopting um or is it it's still too early to see what, what they're really going to be running on
2: for republicans i mean they really want this to be a cultural election like they really 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 want to talk about cancel culture and how you define cancel culture as well well, what's pissing off today? And that's <laughs> that's it. Like they really want to talk about that. And you know, there's there's a lot of racism going into these pitches. Like when you talk about like we don't want to talk about we don't want to talk about how bad slavery was. Well, think of the upsides, you know. I mean that's <laughs> right. that's that's something they really, really want to talk about. And <laughs> you know,
0: I and- laugh because it's so unbelievable not because it's funny but because a, it's not funny just
1: how far how, how far we've fallen that there's like a major national party arguing the upsides of slavery is just i mean i know it's impossible to know what to do with it anyway sorry go ahead jeff
2: yeah i mean yeah and you're right and you know some some of this though they do like to they do like to they do find ways to argue like oh oh, this is not a racist way we're talking about this racist thing (laughs) i mean mean, this is
0: it's they're they're not offended so why why should anybody else be
2: yeah and one and they are hoping to some degree this they are hoping this will reach swing voters and you know i mean very much hope it doesn't but you never know i mean unfortunately american politics has always been had a lot of a lot of this going on. Like this is unfortunately really nothing new. And you know, it's like I was saying, it works except when it doesn't. I mean some of this very much can work.
0: Ultimately it's gonna be a, a it's gonna be an election decided by turnout, like most midterm elections or base elections. It's which party is better able to mobilize and engage its core supporters every one of these states, every one of these, every single one of these, even Iowa to some extent, because Iowa was sort of peripherally competitive at the presidential level, it seemed, isn't a 2020 battleground. So Republicans, you know, I I would actually argue they're not even worried about trying to reach swing voters at this point. I mean, I think they're looking at that 74 million, was it, that Trump got in 2020? And they're looking at that and I'm not sure there was a lot of swing voters in that, right? Because buying one, a lot of the sort of the moderate voter and, and college educated suburban women and things like that, they just, they partly is, is prong one is to suppress the democratic vote by voting restrictions. And then prong two is to mobilize that Trump voter and that they're hoping they're going to write that. You've been, obviously, Daily election has been all over the voter suppression stuff, As you look at that, how is that something that um, I don't want people, Democrats, liberals to be like, we can't win because they're like blocking our ability um, to win. But just how how can we overcome those voter suppression efforts? How impactful might they be?
2: So in terms of how impactful, I that's that's a question that unfortunately we're going to have to find out. Republicans wouldn't be passing this if they didn't think it would work whether we can overcome it, I mean, un- for, unfortunately, this is very much not the first voter suppression thing Republicans have done. I mean, this is, we've, and Democrats have still won elections. Maybe we've won, maybe it's been, it's been a lot harder than it should be, but it's happened. So yes, we have, we have overcome before and we do need to overcome it again. Um, and what we have seen in some of these States is in, at least in the short term, voter suppression does be- tend to backfire. Like, Voters, when they find out they have to wait in long lines because Republicans did this, this they often get really pissed and like, okay, fine. But the, one of the big problems is in the long term. Once fourteen-hour lines, and I wish I was exaggerating about that, become normal, then you know the thing you are willing to do one time becomes a much, much tougher thing to do long term. So, yeah, what we all this talk of these things backfiring? Hopefully, they will. But the big danger isn't always what will happen in 2022. It's what will happen in 2024, 2026 and 2028 when these things become normal and, you know, who knows what else is there. So it's why it's really important to win now and hopefully reverse a lot of this or expand on voter rights or we can. Yeah.
1: Right. And that, you so, know, we had, we had a question, we had a questioner just, it's a good time to chime in real quick. We had a questioner ask about, you know, passing HR1, which is for the People Act, which would, you know, roll back a lot of these, terrible laws and, and block some of them, the GOP laws that that they're trying to put in place now. And, you know, it's possible that I, I think activists should be pushing for that as hard as possible. Right. I, I, I don't I definitely think it is a necessity. It's an existential question for us in a lot of ways. But I don't think that our that. The next two years or up until the midterm elections is our only chance to potentially get it done it's possible it is possible that that happened if we manage to keep control of congress going forward now i mean you know that's all it's all a big if i just don't want anyone to sit around thinking if we don't pass the for the people act if we don't pass hr1 there's no way we can win the midterms that is not true That is hyperbole. We can win the midterms, even if those terrible things pass. And I don't think we know for sure how these voter suppression laws are going to totally play out um, in certain places. So anyway, I just don't want anyone to go away thinking all is lost. Do we want that? Yeah, we want it. But it's not all lost if we don't get it.
0: And to that point, Kerry, Florida is a perfect example where Republicans pioneered vote by mail because old Republicans, right? It's easier to get them to vote if you mail them a a ballot. And because of Trump's sort of irrational hatred for vote by mail, they literally just made it harder for Floridians to vote by mail. That may disproportionately hurt Republican turnout, particularly since some of these seniors are just expecting the ballot to show up and it's just not going to show up and they may find out too late. So there's always sort of the, the law of un- unintended consequences. We, so Jeff's sort of like, we'll see. It's actually the right answer because we we don't know. And he's also right that people, a lot of voter suppression efforts actually have the that unintended effect of of uh, motivating those being targeted, right? Because if you're saying, I'm going to suppress your vote, you're also saying, I'm afraid of your voice. And that's an incredibly powerful Tool to use to, to mobilize democratic voters. Of course, that long term point is actually a very very good one, which you know suggests that you know if we we're able to survive and keep our majorities, that we and hopefully we grow them, that we pass the for the people the HR ones one, and they're number one. They're the number one bill because it's probably the most important for the sake of our democracy. It's the most important piece of legislation in uh, in Congress right now. So. But, you know, we're running out of time here. So I think we have time for one, two more questions. So really quickly, and I know it's so early and I know you're not going to really have an answer, but we're going to hold you to it. If you had to guess right now, do we hold the Senate?
2: If we had to, if I had to guess right now, I mean, I would guess the Republicans do flip it. I mean, I wish I could. I wish I could say something else, but the battlefield, the field is what it is. History is what it is. And. You know, running it is the Republicans do need just need so little to go right for them and we need a lot to go right for us. I I'm not s I am not I do not want it to be like, well, Jeff Singer just wrote off Democrats in the Senate, because I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> like there are I mean, yeah, like I was saying earlier, twenty eighteen Republicans made gains in the Senate while they were getting walled in the House. Anything is possible. But we I I think I think I there are I think we're the underdogs, but we've been the underdogs to four and one. So hopefully.
0: Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff in Georgia were the underdogs. There was nobody that was putting, you know, giving him the odds to win those elections.
2: Yeah. I mean, they were the first, Dem- they and Biden were the first Democrats to win any statewide election in Georgia since 2006 for anything whatsoever. So yeah, Georgia, yeah, Georgia's changing and keeping Georgia would go a long way to
0: keeping the Senate. Uh, Carrie, do you have one more question for Jeff?
1: Well, I, I just I mean, I want to emphasize something that I find fascinating because we were just talking about how it doesn't seem like Democrats. I mean, Republicans are going after independents or swing voters whatsoever. And there was just this was- Washington Post article that talked about how at their own meeting, House de- House Republicans, sorry, House Republicans at their own like retreat, were lying to their own members about what a drag Trump was in core districts that they need to win. Um, and that he was he was 15 points underwater in those districts and people had extremely strong feelings against him. And I just think that is, you know, fascinating to think that how the House Republican arm is already trying to, you know, deep six these this data about what kind of drag Trump is in some of these critical districts. I don't know. Did you see that, Jeff? Do you have any yeah. thoughts on that?
2: I mean, if they're going to, if they're going to keep doing that, I mean, more power to them. I'd rather <laughs> they can get the whole picture. And <laughs> one thing I've sort of learned is sometimes the people who know least about what's going on in their own elections are the people running in them because, well, part of it's you have to focus on all this other stuff. But yeah, you you want to see what you want to see. Like, nobody wants to wake up every day thinking about how how bad they're doing. They want to look at the yard signs that say their names and how great they are. So, yeah, I can absolutely believe that some of these Republicans will convince themselves that up is down and Trump is popular and he's not. <laughs>
0: that's a good way that's to what end. We,
1: that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're hoping for.
0: So usually we talk about what you guys can do, listeners and, and viewers can do. Uh, it's a little early for that. So we don't have candidates yet. Just keep that in mind. It's that we're going to have to organize really, really heavily. We're going to have to fight like, you know, just as hard as we fought in 2020.
1: Yes, Carrie. Something they can do. Okay, so I'm going to say two things they can do. They can pick a state and they can give to some of these grassroots organizations that are already building up infrastructure. Right. And we talk to a lot of these grassroots groups. But anyway, pick a state, find a grassroots group, a Democratic grassroots group that's, that's building up infrastructure. The other thing you can do is you can call your member of Congress, particularly if you're in a swingy district and say, I want universal pre-K. I want my roads fixed. I want infrastructure. I want I mean, help give them incentive to get these major things done that Democrats can win on in 2022.
0: Yeah, Kerry. Kerry coming through when I didn't have anything. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) So, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Walter, for producing the show. And thanks, all of you, for listening. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating wherever you get your podcast or wherever you're watching it, whether it's uh, YouTube or Facebook Live. You can always talk to us at DailyCoast.com. You should sign up for the Daily Coast election newsletter. Um, if you really want to be the smartest person in the room when talking about elections, the Daily Coast elections newsletter will do that for you. You can also talk to us at t- Daily Coast on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us. See you next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at DailyCoast.com or on Twitter at DailyCoast. See you next week.